Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll be reading uh, verses 3 through 10. And so we come to the end of the book of Timothy. Uh, Paul addresses once again false teachers. False teachers have been a theme throughout the book, and we've seen them in verse in chapter 1. We see them uh, teaching other doctrines. It's Timothy's charge and mission at the church to put them to, uh, to, put them to, sil- to silence them. And then later on, he charges them again in that same chapter. In chapter 4, we looked at um, the apostates who would later on depart from the faith. And then again, now we're talking once again about false teachers in the beginning of this, um, this section. How can we recognize, how can we uh, identify a false teacher? What are the obvious marks? What characterizes them? Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are they, inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So we can identify them by the type of fruit they produce. They'll either produce good fruit or bad fruit. If they produce bad fruit, then we know they're false. They can't produce both. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll start in verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So again, as I talked about how we recognize and how we identify a false teacher, this doesn't give us a whole picture of how to do that. You'd have to study the, the scripture as a whole on false teaching, but in these three first two verses, you see, first three verses, you see a couple clues you can uh, look at to identify a false teacher. First of all, in verse three, it says that um, if anyone teaches otherwise, that means they teach another gospel. They teach something contrary, contrary to the scriptures. As we said over and over, um, as we looked at false teachers, the one way to detect a false teacher is to look at the real thing. So it's to look at the Bible and what the Bible says and then compare that to what they're saying. The best way to, to study a, or to, to detect a counterfeit is to study the real thing. Just like you study money, you can detect a counterfeit. You can detect it by studying the Word of God and knowing it. Secondly, they don't, consult, they don't consent to wholesome words. It says, they do not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a person teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ is very important. 
It's very, very important. What they say about Jesus Christ can really, um, can really show where their, where their heart is and what their message is about. What do they say? It says in John, uh, 2 John 1.9, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So it is very clear that those who do not preach uh, the gospel, do not preach what Christ preached, do not follow the words of Jesus Christ, they do not have God. They are false teachers. Next, their, their lives are marked by sin. Their lives are marked by sin, ungodliness. It says that uh, they do not consent to the doctrine which accords with godliness. They are also, um, it goes on to say about that, that they are proud. They know nothing. Um, they think that they know everything, but they, in fact, they don't. They think they have all the answers, and they, they sound like they have everything, but they, they don't know what they're talking about. They know nothing. Um, they don't have a clue. So they're, they're arrogant, and they're ignorant of the truth. They're arrogant and ignorant of, the God's, of God's word. Going on, the, uh, going on to the, on top of that, they are um, obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. Have you seen people like this that they, they major on the minor issues? They, they take one area of scripture and then that's all, they, that's all their focus is about, is just that one simple area. And they, they blow it into proportion and make it the issue. When sometimes those issues aren't even of that big significance or the answer could never be known. So they, they, they love to, to um, get other believers in on that and to start debates and endless fightings over that. And all it produces, what it says in the, the next, um, later on in verse 4, it says that it just produces envy, produces strife, reviling, evil suspicions. And it's, it's useless wrangling of men that are corrupt, have corrupt minds and are destitute of the truth. What they bring when they come into the church, they bring disunity and they bring chaos. They, bring, um, they don't bring a harmony and a unity that a, a preacher of the gospel, a preacher that treat, preaches truth does. So it's, it's easy to see what kind of effect do they have when they come in. And lastly, they are marked by materialism. They are marked by greediness. It says in uh, verse 4, uh, no, sorry, verse 5, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They believe that godliness is a means of gain. They believe that God is some sort of magical genie that will grant every wish, uh, every wish that you have, every wishes, wish, all your wishes of your heart. But why do false teachers believe that, that godliness is a means of gain? Many of these false teachers, they preach a health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine a health, wealth, prosperity gospel that um, is completely different than what the Bible teaches. It's different than what Jesus Christ preached. It's different than Apostle Paul and Peter. They don't preach the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose again and that by trusting in him, you have salvation. They preach that God wants to give you things and that the good news is that God wants to make you rich. He wants to bless you. He wants to make your life abundant. And their message sounds so good, and so many people believe it. And the people that sit under these men, 
who follow after their teachings, that's exactly what they want to hear. They want to hear that God wants to give me everything. They want, I want a successful life. I want to gain a lot of riches. And they, they say that if you just claim God's promises, you'll just get what you want. And these preachers, they literally fill auditoriums, thousands of people, thousands of people who, who want to hear that message or, or are deceived by that message. And they focus on the selfish desires and wants that people have. They focus on the materialistic, the greediness, the covetousness. They focus on those things. And, they, and they'll take the scripture and they'll twist it, or they won't use scripture at all. And they'll say exactly the exact opposite of what the Bible says. And they think that, they, they believe that God, if I, if I follow God or, or religion means that I can get things. It's a, it's a means of gain. It's a, it's a way for me to get rich or for others to get rich. And they sell a very believable message. They encourage people to give so that it will be given to you. But these men do that so that it fills their own pocketbooks. If you look at um, some of the false teachers even today that preach this message, Joel Osteen, with an estimated net worth of $40 million, he and his wife, he and his wife live in a 17000 mansion. He stopped taking his $200,000 salary in 2005, but he still takes in a huge amount of the profits from his uh, book sales. Joel Osteen's message preaches a prosperity doctrine. He preaches that God wants you to be rich. He wants you to be blessed. Doesn't that sound so good? Who wouldn't want to be rich? Who wouldn't want to be blessed? But that's what Joel Osteen believes religion is all about, is that God is here to give you things. And if you're religious, you'll just, you're, you're bound to be blessed and be um, overflow with that. But God wants, you to have, like God wants you to have your best life here on earth, but it's a false message and it's leading people to hell. I have a clip uh, of, a, of a guy named Benny Hinn. Many of you might know who he is. I'm going to show that on the screen. Speaking to you to sow $1,000 seeds tonight, I want to lay hands on your envelope as you bring it forward. I'm going to ask the Lord to do something miraculous tonight, to release a harvest in the next 90 days. I believe God Almighty will do it in your life. He has done it many times before. He'll do it again. God Almighty is speaking to you right now to sow that seed. Now, precious people, I do not want you passing offering buckets. I want the people to bring their seed to me and put it in my hand because the, the anointing of God is on me right now. If you put it in that, in that bucket, you're going to lose it. But if you put it in, in my hand, you're going to gain something from heaven tonight. Everybody, lift your hands and pray in the Holy Ghost. Come on, right now. Pray in the Holy Ghost right now. I want many of you to start walking forward. If you're giving a thousand, five hundred, or a hundred, start coming down. Right now, come on. I want to lay my hand on your envelope. I want to lay my hand on your envelope. I want to ask God to prosper you tonight. You in your homes, keep calling that number on the screen and do the same thing. And I will lay my hand on your name when you call it in. Right now, 
call that number on the screen I'm believing God for a release of a harvest tonight on you I'm believing God to bless your life bless your future bless your home with prosperity divine prosperity people of God can we lift our hands and pray in the spirit right now come on everyone lift your voices and pray in the Holy Ghost speaking to you just It's kind of disturbing some of the some of the things he's saying. <laughs> you can turn the lights on, Jake. Why are these guys so successful? People like Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, Joel, Joyce Myers. There's the list goes on and on. They pinpoint on a message that is feel good, that is non-judgmental, that makes you. Um, it's a tolerable message, and. Second Timothy warns of this. He says that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. People want them to say that their materialistic cravings and their greediness is a good thing. That even God approves of it. And that they think that godliness is a means that I get a bunch of things and that I have a successful life. But it's a trap. Do you see that the, they, they promote their message and they say, look at my lifestyle. Do you see the cars I drive, the, the mansion I have, the successful life? You know, if you follow after me, then you can have just, like, just, just what I have. You can have just the same life I do. And they become the role model of who they follow after. Instead of, they're not following after God anymore, they're following after that man or what that man has. They want that lifestyle. Remember, these men are proud and ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about. They're exactly the opposite of godliness. And the command is to avoid them. It says, from such, withdraw yourself. Don't listen to them. Flee. Run away from these guys. They're dangerous. They're dangerous for two reasons. They're dangerous because of their false teaching, and they're dangerous because they desire financial gain. Next, Paul addresses what true godliness looks like. False teachers believe that godliness is a means of financial gain, but Paul says in verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't just throw godliness out the window because these false teachers are misusing it. But true godliness is great gain when accompanied with contentment. There is great reward for being content. On the one, hand, on the one, hand, on the one side, you have the idea of being rich, blessed, and a full life. And on the other side, you're rich because you're content. One side is pursuing more and more because they, don't, they aren't content. And the other side is pursuing, is, is rich because they are content. There's a difference, there's a contrast. Henry Ford said, after making all of his millions, I was happier doing the mechanic's work. John D. Rockefeller said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. The only thing that makes you rich is satisfaction. When you're content with what God has given you, with the, the life that God has given you, that is true riches. Are you content with what you have? Are you satisfied with what God has given you? 
Look at your life. Are you satisfied and content? The tendency is that we want to have more than what we have, and we grow discontent with what we have. Philippians 4.11 says, Now I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 7 says that, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You realize that we came into this world with absolutely nothing. We came in the world naked. And we're going to leave the, same, the world with nothing. All of the stuff that we accumulate in this world, we can't take out of it. There's no hearses that have U-Hauls behind them. If we, can't care, if we cannot take anything out, then why do we accumulate so many things in this life? Why do we try to accumulate things? Do we want to have something for the next life? Do we want to have something for eternal life? That's why God says, be rich towards God, and you'll have eternal life. You'll have, not eternal life, but you have eternal riches. Eternal riches. And that's the stuff that will last. And he says in verse 8, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. That should be all that we need, nothing more to be content, to have food and clothing. And for most people, God has generously supplied us with more than just food and clothing. How much more should we be content with those things? But are we content with the basic necessities of life? Are we just, or are we always grasping for more? I want that one thing over there. I want that next car. I want that next better house. Are we content? And then the last section of this chapter, or this, uh, this section, he, 9 and 10, he addresses money. And he addresses the desire to be rich. And there are warnings about money. There's some serious warnings about money. Verses 9 and 10. The first warning is that money or is, is a trap. Money is deceptive. It says in verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into, into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It can become very hard to get out of. The desire to be, desire for more can lead to more foolish decisions. Their lives become now a pursuit of money instead of a pursuit of God. And in America, we live in a very materialistic country. We are taught to chase the American dream. There's a, there's a quote that sums up the American dream just like this. It says, Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work and driving through traffic in a car that you're still paying for. In order, to, in order to get to that job that you need to pay for the clothes and car and the house that you leave vacant all day so you can live, afford to live in it. The society pushes us on these things that we need to have the, best, the next new thing. Electronic gadgets are advertised that as soon as you get it, you're gonna, you're, it's going to be outdated. You need the next expensive car, the nice clothes, a nice house, a bigger TV, luxurious vacations. Each product promises that they will satisfy. But in reality, none of them satisfy. The satisfaction wears off. And on top of that, 
our desires to have more money can lead to dangerous and deceptive traps. There are um, those who desire to have money. There's Ponzi schemes that people fall prey to. Um, these things promise the bare minimum amount of work for the maximum payout. The, there's TV ads, radio broadcasts that say, um, that try to get you to invest your money so that you can get a huge reward back. But they lead to harmful and foolish lust. They're, they're, you're trapped into it. It's a temptation and it's a snare. And there are some people that are so engulfed in buying things, they can't get out of the habit of buying. Credit card debt is a huge problem in America. I watched a YouTube ad. Um, I don't usually watch YouTube ads, but there was one that came up. Um, I usually have a pop-up blocker to actually block all those things, but for some reason this one came on, and I saw it, and I stopped to watch it. And it was this guy that was sitting, he was standing outside his house, and behind him was a really nice pool, and behind that was a big mansion that he owned. And he looked like a simple, casual guy, and he goes on to say that, you know, it was a couple, just a couple years ago that I only had $47 in my bank account, and I was sleeping on a couch, living in a mobile home. And I just learned these three successful tips on how to become successful. And I want to share that with you. You're a lucky person. You're the lucky guy who just happened to watch my video. And he shows and goes on to show that, oh, I have this tennis court over here, but that's nothing really. I mean, I got a tennis court. I go over here. Oh, by the way, I have a 16 in-home theater. Plus I have, um, let me just show you my garage. Here's my Maserati and my, um, my Lamborghini. Uh, oh, this is not, these aren't actually all my, all my cars, actually. I have a couple more at my other house. Oh, I have another house. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that. You know, he goes on and on to tell you all these things. And in reality, it's deceptive, and um, the, the guy is a scam. And once he finally gives you the three tips, they actually aren't very profound anyways. But he wants you to buy a subscription to watch the 67 videos that show him that show all of the other things that he's going to teach you. Beware of these kind of scams. People become entrapped by these things. The desire for more, the desire to be rich. The next is that the desire for riches is damning. This is a very strong word to use, but it's deceptive because it is because of those who desire to be rich follow to temptation and a snare and then into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in perdition and in destruction and perdition. It drowns men in destruction and perdition. Those who pursue money and riches are looking for something apart from God. And Jesus, remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? What can I do to have eternal life? And then he goes on to tell him about the Ten Commandments and says, have you kept these? And he says, yes, I have. And he said, go and sell all that you have. You still, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And then the ruler leaves because he is, he leaves and he's sad because he's very rich. And he doesn't want to give up his money. How hard is it? Jesus says this later on in that passage. How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The desire for riches, the love of money, keeps people from heaven. Love, the love of money is a barrier for many, many people from accepting eternal life. And that leads us to verse 10. It says, The love of money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This verse is often misquoted, saying that money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it isn't money that is evil. Money can be used for good, it can be used for bad. But it is the love of money. The love of money. And what he is saying here is, do you want to know the underlying cause of a bunch of the evil in this world? You want to know the root problem? Is love of money. It's a sort of all kinds of wickedness. There's adultery, there's theft, stealing, murder, adultery, coveting, hating, envy, pornography, fraud, selfishness. And the love of money is also what causes people to stray from the faith. It says that in this verse. Those who have strayed from the faith and their greediness. And I believe that it's talking about the false teachers in the, earlier in the passage, that they've strayed from the faith and have promoted their, their wealth uh, and their prosperity. The, what they've been uh, pursuing is greediness. Many other sorrows that come from money. Uh, money doesn't bring happiness that people expect it to bring. It doesn't bring the happiness. It brings credit card debt, hatred, violence, murder, and even eternal death. There are many, many sorrows that it brings compared to the, uh, the, the, the short amount of time, the short happiness it brings. You, you may not think that, I don't love money. You know, I, I don't love money. Or you don't, want to, you don't want to admit that I love money. But how you use your money shows where your heart lies. How you use your money shows where your heart lies. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 17, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statements. Look at where you spend your money. Do you love money? Do you love the joy that it brings you? Do you love the satisfaction of, of wearing it, driving it, of living in it? How do you spend your money? How do you use your money? So what's the, what, should we, what should we do? What is the command? What is the exhortation in this passage for us to do? If we have a hard time with money, if we have a hard time grasping onto things and not being content... Well, the command is to be what we saw in verse 7, uh, verse 6, is godliness with contentment is great gain. It's to be content with what we have. That's the key. Along with living a godly life, it's to be content with whatever God has given us, whatever um, state of life I'm in, to be content with that. I want to give you just a few different um, Exhortations for this passage. Live simply. To live simply. Are we content with the basic things of life? Or do we always want more? Are we always pursuing more? Can we distinguish our needs from our wants? Necessities of life versus our, our wants and desires. 
And Paul, Paul's exhortation in verse 8 is to be content with food and clothing. Just food and clothing. Are we content with those? It's reported that the, American, the average American spends $1,200 a year on fast food. The average American will spend over $1,000 on coffee a year if they drink it on a regular basis. Um, the report also says that pe- the reason people eat out so much is that it's because they don't have enough time it's, or it's more convenient than buying the food in the grocery store or they're too lazy to buy it for themselves, to buy it and make it for themselves. We will spend more money a week on, on fast food, on other um, extra types of food than we would, uh, that would, that money that we spent in one week would be enough money to feed starving children in another country that don't even have, they don't even have the essentials of life. Those who are, who are destitute, who are poor, who don't have enough, even those around us who are poor. Are we looking at the needs of others around us? Can we live, can we live simply enough to free up ourselves to give sacrificially? Can we free up our, ourselves enough? The danger of loving money is that we have a hesitation to give it away. I want to hold it for myself. It's hard to, it's hard to give it away. Giving my hard-earned money that I worked so hard for to give away to somebody else, that's hard for people to do. There's a man named John Wesley, and he had uh, finished buying some pictures for his house, and one of the chambermaids came to his door, and he, she, all she had on was a thin linen gown, and it was wintertime, and she had nothing really to protect herself from the cold, and he reached into his pockets and only found a couple uh, coins in his pockets. And right there he was struck that he didn't have enough money to give to this poor lady to shield her from the cold weather. And I think as a result of that in 1731, Wesley began to limit his spending on other things so that he, had have, he would have more money to give to the poor. So in, in one year his income was 30 pounds. And his living expenses were 28 pounds, so he gave two to two pounds away to the poor. The following year, his income doubled and he was still able to live on 28 pounds and he gave away 32 pounds to the poor. The third year, he jumped to 90 pounds, still lived on 28 pounds and gave 62 away. The fourth year, he made 120 pounds a year and lived on 28 again, giving 92 pounds to the poor. He believed that with increased income, the Christian standard of Giving should increase, not their standard of living. Even when his income rose to the thousands of pounds, he, so, he simply and quickly gave all of his surplus money away. On, uh, on one of the highest uh, years, he earned slightly over 1,400 pounds and gave all away but 30 pounds. He was afraid of laying up treasures for himself on this earth. So that as soon as money came in, it quickly went out. At his highest point, in today's money, at his highest point, he'd be, close, he'd be making close to $160,000 a year and living like he was making $20,000 a year. Could we be able to live in that way where we could cut our expenses down so much that 
We live just simply so that we can give everything away for the glory of God, for his work, for the poor, for the needy. Can I, spend my, can I bring my, my level of spending down so I can free up as much as possible? And living this way, living, by the, living in a way where you're living with just the essentials, there's an eternal aspect of giving your money away, of giving for the Lord. There's an internal aspect. You can reap, reap eternal rewards. So I work at a school district, and one of the things I've learned as I've been working there is that when, they, when we talk about money, something that comes up over and over again is how does using this money best, um, best help the children? We're taking tax, the money that we get is from taxpayers. The money that we receive is taxpayers' money. So we're, we are obligated and we are accountable to the taxpayers to use it wisely. And every dollar that we spend, we look at how is this best going to um, help the children learn? How is this best going to uh, further their progress? Anything that we buy. What kind of impact will it have on their lives? And as believers, we must pose the same question to ourselves. How do we spend our money? Our money doesn't come from taxpayers, but it comes from the Lord. And it is actually the Lord's money. And we are accountable to him on how we spend it. Are we a good steward of the money? So the question we should be asking is, how does this further the kingdom of God and his purposes? Anything that I buy, how does, how does it further the kingdom of God? And it's all about unbelievers. It's all about seeing souls saved. It's all about seeing the gospel go forth. And it's, it's very true what it says in verse 8. It's true that we can take nothing. We can't take anything out of this life. We can't bring any of the, the riches, any of the, the, the car that you buy, the house, all that stuff gets left behind to other people. But you can't take one thing. We can we see lives saved and we can see the souls saved and, and reap the eternal rewards in heaven. We can bring brothers and sisters to Christ and see them in heaven. And we'll have riches in heaven. They will be our rich reward. When we see Jesus talk about food and clothing, he instructed the disciples not to worry about food or, these, or clothing. God will take care of you. What is more important than seeking those things? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Jesus says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself, money with, provide yourself with money bags, which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? We looked at the children's shoebox, and that's an example of, of a way where we can give and invest in other people's lives, where the gospel will be... Will be they're going to get um, a box of stuff, but they'll also get the message of the gospel. We'll be reach, you'll be impacting people's lives. And there'll be a rich reward. When we give sacrifice to the work of the, work of the Lord, we'll see souls saved. And we'll be laying for ourselves up treasures in heaven. 
So I want to ask you, where is your treasure this morning? Where is your treasure? Is it in the things that are passing away? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in the eternal things of, of God? Is it in investing in the kingdom of heaven? So to sum up, the exhortation is to flee these false teachers who absorb ourselves in with money. Get away from them, avoid them, and avoid the discontentment and the, and the desire to be rich that they promote. And be content with what God has given you. Be content with what God has given you. Pursue godliness and content. And pursue true riches. Because that is the ultimate gain. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the warnings in your scripture, Lord, that, that warn us about the love of money and the desires to be rich, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't have that kind of heart, that we wouldn't have that kind of desire, Lord, for money, but that we would look at the needs of this world, the needs of other people that have even less than us, Lord, and that we would desire to, um, Lord, help us to be content with what we have, where you have us in life. And that we would desire to give of ourselves, Lord, sacrificially, and give our lives and invest it in the future. Lord, we pray for, um, for, for wisdom and for help in this area, Lord. And we pray that we would uh, put this into practice this week. We pray for um, help in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.